You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This morning I want to talk to to you about um, the source and finding happiness. You know, I mean, our whole country is based on that. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what the founding fathers were all about. That was one of their phrases. But I know that it seems like the world is not very happy right now. Seems like a lot of us sometimes are not very happy right now. And so there's a key to happiness. There is a, a, a pursuit to happiness that we can acquire by following and walking with the Lord. There's a secret to contentment and happiness that God wants to give us. I mean, just look at the world that we're living in today, you know, and we sometimes think, well, if I just had more money, I'd be happy right? And don't get me wrong, you might be happy for a little bit because you have more money. But if money was the source and the cause for all happiness, don't you think that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk would be a little happier than they are right now? I mean, have you watched these two guys too? The the most wealthy men in the, the entire world, billionaires. And right now they're fighting with each other like little uh, middle school children about who's going to get the space first and commercialize space flight. And if, if that was all, so like what, it's funny too because a lot of times people think, well, money will buy you happiness and, you know, and sometimes they forego their purpose in the pursuit of money. But what happens when your goal in life is only money and you get money? Then the people who have reached that pinnacle of money, they are now looking for purpose outside of money, which is really ironic because their purpose is like, well, if my purpose is to get wealth, if my purpose is to get money, what happens when you have all the money? Well, the people who have all the money are like, well, I need a purpose. So they decide, well, we got to you know, engage in this commercial space race. Or they say, I have to be number one on the list of the 10 most uh, richest people in the world. It becomes something less than satisfying, as many are finding out. So what is the key to happiness? Well, think about it this way. We've been in the book of Philippians, so if you are with us today, just turn to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians 4. And as we've walked through this, uh, the this, this title of this series has been Think on These Things. And believe me, there's an, any number of things to distract you in this world and to get your mind off of those things which are good. And so the whole premise of Philippians is to think on these things, and he's encouraging the Philippian church to dwell on and to think about these things. So this is the book of Philippians. It was written by Paul. It was written to a church that he established 13 years ago uh, in the uh, city of Philippi. Um, and so while he was there, uh, his ministry prospered greatly, and he raised up a very strong and reliable church that was there. And so now he is under house arrest uh, in, in a home in Rome, and he is awaiting trial before Caesar. And so while he's awaiting for trial before Caesar, he's able to have visitors and guests, but he can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. He can write. He can have visitors and things like that, but he can't do what he normally does. And so he's in kind of this holding pattern right now. And during his period of two years where he's under house arrest, he writes four letters, which are called the prison epistles, uh, to various churches. And one of them is the church in Philippi. And in week one, we talked about how in chapter one, we should be thinking about the gospel 
and thinking about life and death. And that our life should be lived for Christ, and if we die, we go to heaven and it's gain. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, he says, think about being a servant. Think about others instead of just yourself. And he gave the example of Jesus Christ as the one that we are to emulate and follow their example. Chapter 3, he talked to them about thinking about heaven and that we shouldn't focus our attention on the things of this world which are here and then gone, but rather we should focus our attention on our heavenly home and to act like and speak like citizens of heaven. Last week we talked about thinking about the good and keeping our peace in a world that's filled with uh, turmoil and chaos. And so today we wrap up our study in Philippians by looking at chapter 4, the second half. So if you'll turn with me to chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, we'll look at this together. And beginning in verse 10, Paul writes this to the Philippian church as he wraps up this letter to them. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know what it is to be abased, which means to be humbled, or, and I know to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both and to be full and hungry, to be abound and to suffer need, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and then again for my necessities. Not that I am seeking the gift, but rather I seek that the fruit that abounds to your account. What this means here is that Paul is saying that I I seek that God would reward you for the kindness that you've shown to me. Verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, both now to our Father, God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Philippi held a special place in Paul's heart, and Paul has a special place in the church's heart. They loved Paul. They were indebted to him because they showed them the way to salvation. And when Paul ended up in prison, they didn't say, well, you know, that was 13 years ago. Paul was part of that then. But, you know, Paul's got his own problems. That's not our problem. That's not the way the Philippian church looked at it. When Paul went to prison, their hearts went out to him there. They didn't just leave him there, but they took a collection from the church and sent one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, to bring it to Paul along with much-needed supplies and encouragement. The church understood Paul's contribution to their lives and honored him by supporting him at the time that he needed it the most. And although this passage is about giving, it's also an instruction about contentment and happiness. My focus of this message today is verse 11, where it says, For I've learned whatever state I am to be content. Content is defined as a state of peaceful happiness, satisfaction, 
pleased with your situation and not hoping for change or improvement. That last part gets me there. It's one thing to be peaceful and happy. It's another thing to be pleased with your situation, but that you would not hope for change or improvement, that's the one I struggle with a little bit. That you can be so content in the situation that you're in that, like, I don't want movement one way or the other. I'm happy to be right here. Now, think about this as far as who's writing this. Paul is writing this while he's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard, and he's saying to himself, I'm happy that if nothing changes, I'm fine with this. That's an amazing perspective. And so many of us are looking for happiness in the temporary moments, like that chocolate chip cookie. You know, you eat the chocolate chip cookie, that is temporary happiness. You binge your favorite show, you watch it for a few hours, and then it's over, and you're like, I just wish they had another show. Or they get to the end of the season, you got to wait to the next season. You're like, I don't want to wait for the next season. We found that momentary escape, that momentary happiness, but we kind of find ourselves a little disappointed as we kind of go back to the everyday frustrations of life. Paul's under house arrest, and he said, you know what? I'm, I'm content. How can he say that? How can he find himself happy where he is? Because Paul was right in the center of God's will. When you're in the center of God's will, you are exactly where God wants you to be. And when you have that knowledge, you know that he's with you and that you're not doing it on your own. He found happiness in that. And we can learn something from that. So sometimes people think, well, if I was just, there's different things that we look to and we say, you know, if I just had more friends... I'd be happy. But then you're an introvert and you realize friends exhaust you, okay? Or if you're single, you said, if I just had a wife or just had a husband, I'd be happy, as if marriage alone was the means of happiness. Like you get there and you arrive and happiness is there. And you do have happiness in marriage, but it's also work. It is, you are leading life together. You are adjusting your life to living with someone else, which is something that's entirely different. And there's going to be joys, and there's going to be ups and downs, and and there's going to be pains, and there's going to be sorrows, and moments of great relief as well. But it's not that, you know, just finding someone is the source of all happiness. Something money, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. You know, if I just won the lottery, I'd be happy, not realizing that 70% of all lottery winners go bankrupt in three to five years of winning the lottery. We were out with a friend of ours recently and uh, they told us that one of their neighbors won the lottery. They won like $2 million. And within a few years, they were broke because the wife would go and play bingo like she always did. But instead of playing bingo for like, you know, the $20, dollars $40, $40, she was dropping $30,000 to $40,000 on bingo The local school benefited from that. They thought it was great. But they were dropping money like crazy. And the truth is, like, if you're thinking that money is the source of your happiness, it's in and of itself, it can offer happiness. But if that's your chief pursuit, you're going to find yourself always wanting more. You're always going to find yourself disappointed at times. So what is the key to contentment? The key to contentment is finding your happiness in Christ. Not in the pursuit of material wealth, not being jealous of what other people have. It's not even focusing on the things that the world considers important. 
Some of you on social media, some of you could care less, but there's a segment of the population that is under 35 that finds that very important. That's a thing for them. And so some people are like, well, I need to have more influence. I need to have more followers. I need to have more people paying attention to me. And that's important to them. Instead of focusing on those things, uh, let your happiness and your hope remain centered in who you are in Jesus and what his plan is for your life. If you're looking for your identity in everything else, you will find yourself relatively unhappy. And if you don't know God's purpose for your life, you can find yourself searching for meaning. But if you know who you are and you know that God loves you, there's a contentment that comes inside. And when you know what God wants you to do with your life, you will find yourself happiest doing that thing. That sometimes you have to recalibrate. Whether you go to college and you start with one major and you switch to something else, just know that your life can be recalibrated. Sometimes the things that you think are really like, that's going to make me happy, don't make you happy. But the great thing is you can change that. You don't have to stay stuck in that. You have the ability to switch. And God is giving you the opportunity to know his will, his purpose for your life. And as you walk in that purpose, you will find fulfillment, contentment, and happiness. So how do we find contentment? How do we find it? It starts with changing our definition of what happiness is and where it can be found. Many times our discontent is happening because we are looking in the wrong places for happiness. Listen, I'll I'll tell you this honestly. If you're looking for someone else to make you happy and you're a miserable person, that's a lot to put on someone else. If you're looking for someone else to make you happy and you're miserable, you're going to find that other person is going to eventually get frustrated with you. And you are eventually going to get frustrated with that person. If you're not learning to be what it means to be happy on your own, you'll never find happiness with someone else. I'm not talking about apart from Jesus. I'm just talking about in life. If you're not happy with life, you're going to find yourself being miserable and making everyone else around you miserable. Change your definition of what happiness is. Instead of looking to what the rest of the world says you need to be happy, look to what the Lord says we need to be happy. We can find our happiness in Christ. So how can we keep content? I'm just going to give you just a few things for you to write down that will help you, okay? So when we're looking at to find and keep contentment, there's some things that we can do, and you can just write these things down. Number one, live without complaining. Live without complaining. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul could have certainly complained about his circumstances. He was in prison. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't preach to people in different churches. He couldn't go and disciple people personally. He had to wait for this trial that seemed like it would never come. Waiting for his case to be heard. Waiting for his opportunity to share the gospel. But he had to wait. But instead, he didn't complain. And instead, he trusted God to meet his need. Early in the same chapter, Paul encourages them to rejoice in the Lord always. It's a choice to rejoice. The word rejoice means to find joy again. He writes, for for I have learned, you can underline that word, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In other words, happiness was not something he worked up in himself. Contentment was not something that he um, somehow just kind of hyped himself into. 
or that he didn't go by his feelings when it came to his happiness or contentment, but rather he said, I've learned that whatever happens to me, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be settled. Not that it was easy, but rather he learned to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself in. And he contrasts that. Verses 11 12, he says, I've learned I've been abased or humbled, and I've been abounded. In other words, I've had uh, quite a bit. So there's been times where I've had nothing, and I've, I've had to rely upon the kindness of others. And then there's times where I've had a great deal of abundance, and I, I didn't have any need for anything. And so he contrasts those two ideas. He says, I've learned what it is to be full and to be hungry. There was times that he was well-fed, but there was also times that in the service of the Lord, he did without. The times where he was in prison, where sometimes he didn't get a chance to eat. There's times he was shipwrecked at sea and he didn't get a chance to eat. You know, there's times where he had, he was hungered, and there was times that he was filled because of the work that he did for the Lord. And Paul kept his perspective on all these things. Instead of uh, focusing on what isn't right, which is sometimes what we can do. The reason why we're not happy is because we're focusing, well, this isn't right, this isn't perfect, this isn't, this isn't what it should be. And instead of focusing on those things, he focused on the strength that God gave him to do what he was called to do. The strength was not something that Paul had in himself to do. In fact, if we look at any of the things that Paul has gone through, any one of us would crack under that kind of pressure. Any of us would give up when faced with those kinds of difficulties, but Paul found strength not in himself, but in the Lord and in his calling. When his imprisonment went from days to weeks to months to years, Paul continued to have his trust rooted in the Lord and looked to God to give him strength. So live without complaining is the first thing. Paul didn't complain. You can explain there's a difference. We had a professor in college that sometimes he would rant a little bit about the way things were or the way students were doing things or the state of the church, and he would rant about it, and he, it sounded like he was complaining, which he was, actually. But he says, I'm not complaining, I'm explaining. The difference between complaining or explaining is that complaining whines, okay? I gotta do this. I gotta, complaining sounds like whining. But explaining how busy you are is something entirely different. You can explain to someone, like, my life is just crazy right now, and you can just talk about the things that you're doing. So live without complaining. Secondly, live without comparing. Comparison is the source of all disappointment and discouragement. Comparison is the enemy of your soul in so many ways. The enemy of your soul when it comes to happiness in God. When you compare your life to somebody else's, either the house that they have, the car they drive, their family and how happy they appear to be, which I will say, by the way, they appear to be. Because everyone always either puts their absolute best on social media or their absolute worst. It's never, there's like never a middle. There's never like no, a moment where you're just like, you know, today's just a day and, you know, I ate a banana and drank a cup of coffee. It's never that sort of stuff. It's always like, you know, look how great my family is, or look how great this vacation is. And we're going, oh, man. Like, how come they get, where did they get? And we go through the things like, where did they get the money for that? How do they afford that? X, Y, Z, whatever the case might be. And we shouldn't be thinking that way. We should be saying good for them. 
Or sometimes we see the worst in someone's life. We, go, we look at the negativity. We look at the terrible things that are going on. And they're posting all of the worst that their life has to offer. And so you're seeing, you're like, wow, that's really bad. So like, we don't like either. We don't like the good. We're like, we're jealous of them for their good. And we kind of stay away from them because they're bad. They're just like, that looks really awful. And you don't want to like, you don't want to be the person that kind of like humors that in a way. Um, but sometimes we compare. And comparison will always leave us discouraged, always leave us disappointed. Someone will always have better than you, a better job, better car, a better family life, more money than you. If we look at what others have and are jealous, that's not being grateful to God for what he's given you. Sometimes when we look at what others have, we become covetous. We say, I want what they have. And we shouldn't covet either. We shouldn't compare ourselves to other people. You know why? Because your road is different than theirs. The path that God has for you is different than theirs. You have a, a, a plan. God has a plan for your life that is maybe entirely different than theirs. So the road you're walking may not be the one that uh, they're walking, and you should be okay with that. Instead of wishing to be someone else or wishing that you had that person's life, instead focus on what God's given you. God's given you a family, work on your family. If God's given you a marriage, work on your marriage. If God's given you a job, do it to the best of your ability. You might say, I don't like my job. I wish my job was something else. Do everything as unto the Lord and not unto men. When we compare ourselves to others, other people, we will always find ourselves discouraged, always hoping for something better, always beating ourselves up, always just finding ourselves envious, resentful, bitter, even against fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ in your own church, friends of yours. You shouldn't think that way. That's a trap of the enemy right there to get caught up in that. They don't mean anything by it in their posting. They're not trying to show you up. Not like your neighbor or you and that person compete about who has better decorations at Christmas time or whose lawn is greener, you know, in the summertime. It's not about, we're not doing that for, instead of looking at everything and say, you know, I'm happy for them. When you see someone's blessed, just say, you know, praise God that they're blessed and be okay with that and move on. Don't get caught up in the comparison. Thirdly, live simply. Live simply. One of the things that we learn early on is when Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them to bring nothing for their journey but trust God's provisions. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Uh, I want you to take a look at this with me here for a moment. So Jesus calls his 12 disciples. He sends them out, and he gives them some very unique instructions. And he says to them, he said, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick, and he said to them, take nothing for the journey. Okay. Neither staffs, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not even have two tunics apiece. No, don't even have a, a change of clothes. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and then depart. And whatever, whoever will not receive you, then go out of that city and shake the dust from off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I want you to think about that for a moment, is that Jesus sent them out. He's like, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to take a, a, another staff. I don't want you to take any money. I don't, want to take you, I don't want you to take any 
supplies or food with you. Don't even bring a change of clothes. Instead, wherever you go, go into that city, and if someone will put you in their house and feed you and let you stay there, then stay there in that city until it's time to go or until the time to get sick of you and kick you out. All right, how many times have you had people over your house and you could stay for a while and a while is months, and then all of a sudden you're like, you need to get out now. You know, it's like, so there are times, like, and that's not what I'm saying here in the biblical narrative at all, but, but stay there until you leave. And it seems like a unique sort of a, a, a question here, a unique sort of circumstance, like why would Jesus ask them to do that? And because he wanted them to see that God would provide. He wanted them to see that God would take care of them and to live simply and humbly. In other words, don't get caught up, say, well, in order for me to do this, I have to have X, Y, and Z, and I have to receive this, and I have to have that, otherwise I'm not going to do it. Instead, they were just given the instruction, just go out and follow God and preach, and and whatever kindness and opportunity is given to you, receive it as the provision from the Lord. When you live simply, when you are not caught up in all the things that the world thinks are important, you can live without any kind of concern about other things. You can live freely in your mind and heart. Instead of getting into debt and finding yourself restricted as far as what you can do for God, live simply, and then you have the freedom to do whatever God wants you to do. So that when you get to your senior years, that even when your retirement years, this is not the time to slow down in life. It's the time to speed up for God. You've got a lot of extra free time on your hands. That means it's time to pray. It means it's time to serve. It's time to do things. You have the freedom that some don't. If God's giving you the opportunity, we're like, I don't have to work anymore. It's not leisure time, although you can take time for yourself. It's time to do things for God that others wish they had the freedom to do. As long as you live simply within your means, you'll find your stress lessening. You'll find the pursuit and chasing after things doesn't become such an issue in your life. If you choose to live in a very simple and modest way, you'll find your happiness there. Even uh, Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 about this very thing. He says, Now God in this with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we cannot carry anything out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be, what? Content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is an instruction that Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy. The Enmashism, live simply and don't get, up, get caught up in the pursuits of greed and wealth. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Instead, he reminds them to find his contentment in God. Reminding ourselves we didn't bring anything into this world and we won't take anything out of it. So what will we take into the next life? Think about it for a minute. What is the thing that you will take into eternity with? There's only two things that you'll take with you into eternity. And no, it's not your favorite DVD collection. It's not, it's not the things that you have in your home. It's not even the heirloom dishes that your grandmother passed down to you, or whatever the case might be. It's none of those things. The only thing that you're going to take into heaven with you is your relationship with God and your relationship with people. It's all about relationship. Because one day our desire is that we want to see God face to face, right? I don't know about you. I don't care about the streets of gold. I don't care about what size room 
I'm staying in. I don't care about the crowns that will be given to me or any of those sorts of things. I don't care what part of heaven I live in. I'm not wondering, I'm not looking as if there was some kind of realty thing for heaven. Say, what district do I want to live in? What's the best part of town? I'm not concerned about that. Who am I looking forward to seeing in heaven? I'm looking forward to seeing the Lord. I want to see him face to face. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. I want to see him and I want to see everybody else that I knew that knew the Lord beforehand. I want to see every dear saint of God that I grew up with that served the Lord faithfully and showed me the right way to walk and live. I want to see the people in my family that have gone on before me that loved the Lord and served him faithfully. I want to see them. That's what it's about. So what are we working and spending our time on here? Are we working for things that moth and rust will destroy? Or are we working on things that will be eternally significant in the life to come so that the friends that you have now the family members that you have now, that you will see them in eternity. I want you to think about this for a minute. This is a little diversion here from what I'm talking about today. But think about it for just a moment, and it's a very troubling thought that the people you hang with and the people you roll with and the people you do things with, how many of them will you see in heaven? How many will be there? And if it doesn't bother you or disturb you that you might not see them there, something should rise up within you and get you unsettled. That let's stop wasting time with each other. And let's at least share what we believe and share what we're about and share the hope that we have in Christ so at least they've heard. Because it's about what we bring with us into eternity, not what we have here in this world. Because the things of this world will pass away. And we'll no longer have them anymore. But if we work on the things that are meaningful, those things we'll have forever. Live simply. Next thing, live dependently upon the Lord. Live depending on the Lord. Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse has been used in a lot of different ways to mean a lot of different things. But Paul knew things were hard. And if you ever want to see how hard Paul's life was, you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21 through 30 on your own. He talks about everything he's ever been through. And there was difficulties along the way. He talks about being in prison. He talks about being destitute. He talks about being hungry. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about almost uh, facing death several times. And there were times where living for God was difficult, moments where he felt like he might not make it, moments where it felt overwhelming to him. But in everything, in adversity, in difficulty, in stress, in strains, Paul says, I can do it because it's Christ who gives me the strength to do it. God gave him the strength. Whatever you're going through right now, I want you to know, God can give you the strength to get through it. He can give you the strength to endure the difficulties of financial hardship that Paul was talking about. He can give you the strength to get through the challenges within your family, the challenges that you are facing within your workplace. It's hard sometimes to live and serve God. It really is. But God can give you the strength to stay with it and stay true to it no matter what. God gave him signs of his presence 
signs that he was with them, encouragements along the way to let them know he could make it. Through the kindness of people, through the generosity of the saints, through them he found the encouragement to keep going. And Paul trusted the providential hand of God. He says, you know, whatever I'm doing for the Lord, I know I'm in the center of what he wants me to do. I know that I'm in the center of what he's calling me to do right now. And it's been difficult along the way, but he's given me signs that he hasn't left me or abandoned me here. And the way he's done that is through encouragement, signs of his presence, signs of miracles, signs of blessing, and signs of provision that's given. I want you to understand something today. What God ordains, he supplies. Whatever he asks you to do, he'll enable, make the means possible for you to do it. What God orders, he pays for. So if he says, you know, I want you to go and help the homeless, and you give to the homeless, God's going to make a way for you to do that. And if he gives you a bigger vision and a bigger number than what you were thinking of, he'll enable you with the creativity or the provision or the connections to make that happen. If it's a God-given plan, a God-given goal, he will always supply concerning that. What God orders, he pays for. What he tells us to do, he will make a way for us to do it. When God, was called to Paul, God called Paul to missionary service, he made a way for him to keep going. And the way that he did it is through the Philippian church. Live dependently upon God. I'm depending on him for my future. I'm depending on him for the messages, the direction, the guidance. I'm depending upon him for my provisions. Listen, I know what it is to live simply, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. Yeah, and even some of the people that you might see in, that you know of, that you're friends with, whether here or elsewhere, and you might think that they were just always well off. But then if you sit down and talk to them about when they were first married, or their first dates, or the, the first apartment they lived in, you would see they had very little, if anything. They lived simply not because they wanted to, but because they had to. But in that, God provided, and God showed himself faithful time and time again. God will show himself faithful, and he will take care of you. Learn to depend upon him instead of depending on yourself. Lastly, live generously. Live generously. Make no mistake, this passage is about giving. Don't worry, I'm not going to be preaching on tithing right now, okay? That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is for us to understand that happiness is not tied into all the things that the world sees as the source of happiness, but rather to be dependent upon the Lord. Remember, this is a letter that Paul wrote to his fellow believers in Philippi. He wanted to express his gratefulness for the gift that they had given him. The Philippians helped Paul out on two occasions when he first needed it in Acts 17, 1, on his missionary journeys. Now, once again, they gave to bless Paul. And there's a few things I want to point out from these verses 10 onward here. Uh, the first thing, in verse 10, the Philippians looked for an opportunity for generosity. They looked for an opportunity. It says, you know, uh, when given the moment, it said, you know, you long for a way to show your care and concern for me, but you had no opportunity to do so. Generosity looks for an opportunity. It says, how can I do it? When we heard about our friend Jan Nell passing away a few weeks ago, our first thought was like, how can we help them? How can we bless them? 
Generosity always looks for an opportunity where you can, how you can bless someone and help them in the time of need. Secondly, when they gave, they helped share in Paul's struggles and distress. Their generosity showed that they cared about Paul. He says, you shared with me in my distress. Have you ever thought about that, that when you give to someone or something that you are sharing and carrying the burden that they have? The Philippians also were the first to give. When no one else gave, Paul said. He says, now you Philippians also know in the beginning of the gospel when I depart from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving only you. Nobody? Not even like the sending church, you know? Like no one stood up and said, you know, Paul, I hear you're called the missionary service. Here, we want to do something to help you with that. Philippians were the first to give because they saw an opportunity to give and they did it. And it wasn't just that one-time thing that they twice later on gave to Paul and helped him. Next thing in verse 17, Paul, uh, that God rewards those who give. Paul says, not that I'm seeking the gift, but I seek that fruit abounds to your account. And in verse 19 he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. God rewards those who give. He says, I, I, I didn't need it. I'm not asking for money. I'm not looking for help. He said, but like, I am grateful that you did it so that God might repay you and reward you according to what you've done for me. And then verse 19 says, God will supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. There's a difference between need and want. And part of our lack of happiness is that we're so fixated on what we want instead of what God is meeting in terms of our need. The promises of God's word said that he'll always supply what we need. But sometimes we've got our eyes on other things, our wants, our desires. The book of James talks about that, that we pray with wrong motives because our, our motivations are selfish. But if we focus on what we need, God will always take care of your need. You can go to God with your need, and he will meet the need because it's promised that he would. That your Heavenly Father know, has, knows what you need before you ask. He knows what we need. He will meet our needs if we are faithful to him and trust him. You know, sometimes we can get fixated on the wrong things and because we are, our wants aren't being met, we are unhappy. We want the bigger house. We want the better car. We want what somebody else has. But if we just focus on how God's met your needs, you would be content and pleased and rejoice. Verse 18 says that the gift was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. When we give, it's a sacrifice unto God, especially for his work, and he, he blesses it. He's saying, Paul's saying it's just like when they used to offer burnt offerings in the temple or when they offered incense for prayer. It's like your gift, uh, your sacrificial gift was like that to me, and it, it honors God because you're giving not to me. You're giving to the, the cause of Christ. You're giving for the cause of the gospel he furthered, and God is pleased with that. I don't know about you. I want to live in such a way that pleases God. When we see the generosity of the Philippian church, it demonstrates how they loved God, how they loved Paul, and how grateful they were for everything that God had done in their lives. Generosity 
is the antidote to materialism. Generosity is the antidote to materialism. It shows that something else is more important to you than just material things. So God is able. He's able today to strengthen. He's able to provide. So what's the key to happiness and contentment? By changing your definition of what happiness is. By focusing on not on what the world says you need to be happy, but rather focusing on your identity in Christ and your calling in him. When you do that, you will find contentment. When you find that he is your source and he is your strength, then you'll find happiness there. Then you'll be able to say, you know, things aren't great. They're not perfect. They're not ideal. But I'm happy because I know I'm right where I need to be in God's plan right now. And this is where he has me. And I will trust him because even as bad as things are, they won't stay bad forever. Claiming that one myself, by the way. Just because things are bad doesn't mean they'll stay bad forever. Because God is there. As we wrap this time up today, perhaps you're going through a lot and you just need the Lord to give you strength to get through things. Or maybe you're in a place where you're in desperate need for God to provide for you. I want you to know today that we're here to pray with you and for you, believing that God will strengthen you and that God will help you and provide for you today. I know that he is. Not only myself, but I'm sure if you talk to a lot of people in this room, they would tell you God is a faithful provider. God is the one who is able to give you the strength to get through things when you're struggling. Do you believe that today? Will you just stand with me as we pray? Just stand with me. This morning, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're, you're just saying, like, I'm weary and heavy laden. I need the strength that God provides. I want you to know he's here to do just that. Maybe you're just experiencing things where you're having trouble making ends meet, and you're just worried about the future. I want you to know God cares about those things, and he's able to meet your need today. Do you believe that today? Let's pray and ask God to do that. And if you are are in need of prayer for anything, I just want you to know that we'll be here to pray with you at the end of service. When I'm done praying, if you need to leave, just quietly slip out. There's coffee in the other room for your enjoyment. But if you are in need of God to meet you where you are, if you're in need of prayer, please stay, and we'll be happy to pray with you. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just thank you today that, Lord, you have always been faithful to provide for our needs. You've always been there, even when we felt like we were abandoned, even when we felt like we were alone. You've never left our side. And so, God, today I just pray for each person, Lord God, who's feeling weak and weary and heavy laden. I pray that you'd be the source of their rest, the source of their peace and their strength today. Show yourself faithful to them, Lord, that they can keep going under the tremendous weight that is placed upon their shoulders. Lord, I pray for those that are facing different needs of different kinds and they're coming across their doorstep or in their mailbox. Lord God, the, the, the things that seem overwhelming to them, would you show yourself faithful, Lord God? Lord, as they are faithful to you, would you be faithful to them? Would you supply their needs according to your riches and glory today? Lord, we trust you today. We know that our future is in your hands And we know, Lord God, that our hope and our happiness and contentment is found in you. So bless each person, Lord, both those that go and those that will receive prayer today. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.